Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen on this Thursday evening. We're recapping Volta Ciclista at Catalunya Stage 4, the last big mountain stage, as well as OxyClean Classic, Brugge de Pana, women's race. We had the men's race yesterday. We'll do it in normal order. Catalonia first, then Brugge de Pana second. Before we get to the recap, I want to mention, well, one of the teams that are in Brugge de Pana and got another top 20 result. The British Continental team drops Lacole, powered by Tempur. You know that Lacole is a show partner of the podcast. They're making us, you know, in making things possible like Benji and I possibly getting race footage for next year and an editor so that Benji doesn't have any more uh, nightmares like yesterday. But Lacole, their support of the pod from the Giro last year and all through this year really make that possible. They've got a... Uh, Pedal and rewards program. You can earn yourself fifty pounds. Believe that's quick maths, eighty dollars, maybe more. Uh, AUD and being with a chance of winning a drops the cold team bike courtesy of Ribble Cycles. You can see that through their Instagram or their website. There's the various information and links there. Dodd to Catalonia, Benji. The last big mountain stage, 169 k's, about 4,000 meters climbing, two HC climbs. The first one's a cat one for a break to form. Second, then it's a long descent, false life descent. Then second climbs, like 25 k's, 4.5%, not steep. Then descent, then the Port and a finish up to 2,000 meters, 19, uh, 18.5 k's at 6.7%. What's your feeling, Benji, before the stage? For the percentage chance a break would win. I was at about 75-80%. I think I had it pretty high as well. It would all depend on who would go in it and so forth, but I think I had the breakaway as a high potential to win this stage. It kind of depended on what teams were trying to do against Ineos in this stage. And I think that really played out at the start of the stage, but I did think that all in all Ineos would retain their leader jersey for sure with Adam Yates, but also would be interested in potentially trying to get rid of Almeida a bit because we saw in the uh, early mountain stage yesterday that Thomas was looking pretty decent. Almeida uh, was also relatively decent, but I still think that Thomas was in a shape where he could drop Almeida yesterday, which means that perhaps today that could happen. So I think those are all the things that we were looking at. Could Ineos make it a 1-2-3 and with the breakaway end up winning this stage? And the stage pretty much started with what I was expecting, how I explained how the stage would start, the sense that the Ineos riders go to the front of the peloton. And from that point onwards, they decide who can go and who can, can't go. And it started with two riders getting away. I think that included the likes of Diego Camargo. And um, I don't know who the early other riders was, but 
I think then just after that, a six-man group got away. That group got taken back with Walter in there. And then another group got away. And that group was the final breakaway. Um, but the first pretty thing strong. I noticed was that, one, it was pretty strong. But who was in it? Leonard Kemna. And if we know about Leonard Kemna, he's on 140 or something, 131 or so in GC yeah. yep. before this stage. So there lies an issue because he's basically neutralizing the breakaway from the inside. I was super hyped that Walter was in the breakaway, but it was never <laughs> going to work out if, if someone with 130 deficit is in the break because then Inyo's going to start pacing, really. What do you think was going on in his mind making that move? I just think Leonard's strong on back-to-back mountain stages, as I said in the preview. And I think I think Leonard's big mistake this week is he's fluctuated between riding for GC and going for stages. And he's lent a bit more towards going for stages. We saw that with his decision-making at the end of stage one. And then he's kept close on GC and then... Today, he's really hamstrung the break, if we're honest. We had riders like Tolhook, uh, Uran, Antonio Pedrero, and Semitier from Movistar as expected in there. Clément Champoussin, Cohn Bowman, Joe Dombrowski, Thomas de Kent. I think he's even won this stage on this finish before from the break. But, uh, Walter and Meinkies. But yeah, that meant Ineos was going to pace it all day. And that's exactly what they did. On the second climb with about 50Ks to go, maybe a bit over. I think live coverage was starting at about that time. We turned on and Leonard's on his own. He's dropped the brake on that second climb. And I think it's very early because there's a pretty, you know, still an 8K valley after that climb and a long descent uh, to be staying away from a full Ineos team. He had a gap of 3.30 and it was Castroviejo pacing hard on that second climb behind him, just eating into that gap gradually. Not really on the climb, actually, more so on the descent afterwards. It was, God, listen, if anyone before 1 April keeps asking me why they super tucking, isn't, aren't they going to get fined? And, like, it's, it's not banned yet. I thought people knew that. Um, I can't take it anymore. So everyone, like you had the, Leonard super tucking, Castroviejo and Dennis super tucking. And Benji, I thought he still had a chance because I thought Ineos wouldn't pace so hard. So they get to the base of the last climb. Leonard's on his own. Brakes mopped up. Castroviejo's done. Did you expect Ineos to get Dennis to start driving it really hard with that gap at 155 to Leonard, given that Yates is already a minute 30 ahead of him on GC? Yeah, I think that that's where they lost me a tiny bit when it comes to Ineos. I think that in total, the moment that Kemna got away from that group, he started slowly but surely gaining time on that second group. But I think at the bottom of that second climb, at the descent bottom, we had that 155 gap, but it had also been at like three minutes suddenly for a bit, which was weird because first it was one minute 30, then after three minutes, and then they started bringing it down. So I'm not sure if they kept their foot off the gas for a bit or what caused that that gap to go up for that 
um, at that moment. So that that was a fun surprise to me because then they will have to like eat in the gap more afterwards. And that was noticeable. They started eating into the gap. And when the climb started, it was Dennis time. 155 minutes, uh, well, 1 minute 55, not 155 minutes would have been a huge gap. I think that that is still the gap where I would pace with the likes of Dennis because Camino's virtually in the lead right now. So I would have yep. kept that gap up. And the moment that it switches, I would leave my foot off the gas a tiny bit and would try and yeah. keep the gap the same. And I think they didn't do that because we saw that Dennis kept on pacing on the same wattage that he started pacing on at the start of the climb. So I think that's not necessarily a mistake because, well, it could still turn out their way because they've got a godlike team anyway. But I think <laughs> that spending unnecessary energy at this spot for Dennis to go into this gap even more. And that's when I was thinking, well, well hold that thought, things. Benji. Okay. Yeah. I'll hold that thought. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical about it after we've done the recap. We're going to imagine some Slovenians might be at this race. <laughs> Leonard gets wrapped up with 14 and a half Ks to go on the climb. It's an 18 K climb. Leonard was out there on his own for a long time. Great effort from him. He at least tried to make the stage exciting and make Ineos uh, work for it. But, yeah, I reckon he's a good shout, actually, for the stage. Went on stage seven, given how aggressive he's been, friend of the podcast. It was time for – well, Dennis kept pacing. He just kept pacing quite hard. I actually think – I didn't notice him taking the foot off the gas. We thought he would have. They've got Yates, Port, one and two, Almeida, third, Almeida, zero threat on the mountain. To Ineos, they know that. Their only real threats are – Kelderman, Simon Yates, but they're very far back on GC. So if any attacks are to happen to eat into that gap, bear in mind this is the last mountain of this week's race. It's going to have to be soon. 10Ks to go. No, sorry. 12Ks to go or so. Dennis pulls off. Big turn from him. We'll see more of that in Grand Tours this year. He's invaluable in the Ineos train. Carapaz. People were saying after yesterday's stage, oh, it doesn't look in so good form. It's like, well, no one looks in good form if they have to bring back three or four attacks every time someone surges, they've got to go after them. Valverde Quintana. He starts pulling, incredible pull from Carapaz, keeping it together, lining it out. But then he had a mechanical Benji. I initially thought he was pulling yes. off. And then how surprised were you that he just like rode straight back up the side of the peloton after he got his chain back on? Well, it was a bit weird how he went over the front first because he just went to the yeah. right side of the road and it looked like he didn't <laughs> inform anyone of his team because they were both like, are you okay? What's happening? Are you okay? Uh, and, and then he probably like pointed out, it's, it's, my, it's, my, it's my tire. And he didn't take too much to fix itself i think was it this chain i think it was this chain no it's chain so uh yeah chain pretty sure um well i didn't expect him to be done with his with his work yet but it's also pretty majestic to then step up and fly back to the back of the group pass everybody and start working again thomas took over for a tiny bit in the meanwhile not really setting a high pace so he was probably thinking okay we're gonna try and get cut up us back to try and get this train back in order but really powerful and didn't really stop there because Karapas kept on pacing and he kept on pacing and well that he, Kreuzweig attacked 
Yes. So when Carapace had the mechanical, Stephen Kreuzweich, a minute 37 back on GC, attacked as Carapace was making his way back up. I love to see it. Benji and I hate the unwritten rules. Um, so, and like literally you think, oh, what's the unwritten rule about pacing when the domestiques had an issue? Chris Froome once made the whole race sit up to wait for Ian Stannard to come back in the Tour de France. Chris Froome actually went back himself to bring Stannard back. So I love I love micro-aggressive things in cycling, and this was definitely one of those little jabs from Jumbo Visma. I mean, ultimately, it did not work at all and was, in hindsight, a terrible idea for Kreuzweich. <laughs> but I don't think there's much love lost between Jumbo Visma and Ineos. Carapaz just started pacing, as Benji said, bringing Kreuzweich back. He was literally dangling 10 metres in front of the Ineos train the whole time. You know, Ineos train is undefeated. And we know that Carapaz, he's got two nicknames. Obviously, you know, El Hagua de Tulcan. That does not apply to this race. That applies <laughs> when he is in attack mode. Today, he has his original nickname, La Lo- La, um, is it Locomotora del Carci uh, yeah. or Locomotora? Yeah. I don't care. Local. The train. <laughs> he was the train today on the front of the Ineos train. Monster pull from him. Chavez attacked him with 7.2 Ks to go. He showed good magic legs, in fact. Yes, on stage three. And Carapaz, he did his best pulling for ages and ages, deep into 3 Ks. I want you to explain, Benji, why didn't Ineos pace to bring Chavez back? Oh, the Chavez, we haven't forgotten to say that he attacks. (laughs) Chavez attacked. (laughs) Oh, no, I said. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, Well, there's a reason to that. So, you've got a situation where Chavez does not matter at all when it comes to GC. The man can take roughly a minute and it still wouldn't matter for for Ineos here. So, what they're looking at is their GC right now. They have Adam Yates in first. They have Bourne in second. They have... Almeida in third, which is not their teammate, obviously. And Thomas in fourth, only a few seconds behind Almeida. So what they are thinking is what I mentioned at the start of the podcast today, that what if they could drop Almeida and keep Thomas in their train? So Thomas was not really the rider they wanted to let do too much work here. They wanted to keep him relatively okay so that he could stay on and hopefully he could overtake Almeida in that, because imagine if they could finish the stage with a 1-2-3 in GC, that'd be amazing. And it would probably yeah. matter more to the team here as a bit of a meme than Yates winning another stage. So, Chavez got 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and Carapaz kept on pacing until another move came, and that was the first proper Movistar move today after Soler dropped again at the start of the <laughs> final yeah. climb doing nothing today. <laughs> it was Enric Maas. Enric Maas who attacked, and um, he's got this special way of attacking in the sense that when Enric Maas is attacking, it's like he's using all his core muscles in his body to not move at all while doing this. Yeah, I So know. that his body is not moving, <laughs> but his bike is moving. It's, it's so funny to see, but uh, yeah, he got a bit of a gap, five seconds on the peloton, but got up all And he always comes from tempo. so deep. Yep. 
Like it's like he spends all his biscuits his so like just getting to the front wheel. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a I don't know. Is it is the weird strategy? I don't think anybody would have really countered it or. Uh, yeah, it's not like he attacks with the no, fiercest didn't of care. speed anyway, so Ineos wouldn't care, and if anybody else would care, they would also do it here, because, well, they've got enough time to react with the the speed of the attack, the acceleration that Enric Maas uses against this peloton, but eventually, Carapaz slowly but surely tuned that back, and Carapaz went over the front of the group, and it was uh, time for the Australian, the Tasmanian, to move oh. to the front of the group. Oh. Thomas, I think, like, soft pulled for a little bit or just keeping it together. And bear in mind, Ineos, as Benji said, we're just focused on, I think, dropping Almeida and putting him into difficulty. Chavez was gone 13, 15 seconds ahead. He eventually cruised in for the big stage when Esteban Chavez, his last win was in May 2019 in one of the late Giro stages when he was out of GC contention. So hasn't won for nearly two years and got the BW today ahead of the Ineos train. But this Ineos train, still undefeated. Yes, Port's not working sort of as a domestique, but riding in the fashion that he did meant no one could attack from the GC group to put them under pressure. It dropped Almeida and then Thomas was able to yeah move up spots on GC so and take full bonus seconds. So here's the stage results. Esteban Chavez first, seven seconds ahead of Woods. Like Woods, Jesus, what a, what a result. Best yeah. climber on Israel Startup Nation. Um, I'm not even sure Froome can help him in the mountains in the tour. Grant Thomas third for Ineos Grenadiers, taking four bonus seconds and leapfrogging ahead of Almeida, who lost a fair bit of time, not just bonus seconds. So Thomas is now third, 15, 14 seconds ahead of Valverde in fourth. No change with Yates and Port 1 and 2. Coos, just behind Yates in the same group as with Valverde, Port, Kellerman, Quintana, Lucas Hamilton, all in that group. Hugh Carthy dropped, lost six seconds. I'm actually a bit disappointed in his results at Catalonia, if I'm honest. Simon Yates, 12th, also losing, 4 seconds to Carthy and 17 to Chavez. Almeida, 25 back, Chicone 30 back. So, death, taxes, Ineos train. Listen, all the people that wrote articles spouting the bullshit Browsford was saying after the Giro about new tactics, we love to race exciting. Like Just because Ineos fell backwards into a Giro win, where the start list was, you know, accidentally the Giro Cecilia uh, start list. <laughs> and, you know, they just were like, oh, why not go for it in week three? Doesn't mean when they got someone in the leader's jersey in the tour this year or any race this year, they aren't just going to train it up. And that's what they're going to do. And that's the correct thing to do. It's, it works. It's worked in cycling for decades and they're not going to change it. They only change it or will change it if Yates and Port or Carapaz or Bernal are behind on GC to better time trialists like Pogacar or Roglic. If they're ahead on GC or doing good TTs, there's no need to be aggressive or overly aggressive unless, Yates, yesterday you want to put the time into Almeida and you're behind. 
Um, so it was same as same old Benji. And you tweeted something about Ineos and gifting and Chavez, somewhat related <laughs> to what I just said about the train. Do you want to explain that? Because I agree with you. Explain it to the listeners. Yes. First, to like add on to your uh, discussion a tiny bit, I agree that they also don't need to change a winning strategy in this sense because if they're in a situation like they are right now, the best way to play the race is to ride it defensively if you've got a 1, 2, and a 4 in GC. So they did that, and perhaps it's more boring than people seeing attacks every single time, but obviously Ineos prefers to win over making the race exciting. I would too if I was them, so I definitely completely understand yep. what they are doing, and I don't blame them for making that choice. And I enjoyed the race, so can't say too much more than that. I think my tweet was more related to the fact that um, we saw Paris-Nice a few weeks ago, one week and a half ago, where uh, Roglic made the decision to leapfrog Gino Meder at the end of the stage and the entire half of Twitter was pitchforking him. But um, I think today was the perfect example of why Roglic should not do that. Give the victory to Gino Meder. Because today we see a situation where Ineos is they're obviously kind of trying to get Almeida off the wheel and keep Thomas in there. But they also know that if you, with 700 meters to go, drop Almeida, and Thomas is still looking pretty good, then it's very unlikely that an attack in the final 700 meters by Adam Yates is going to destroy everybody in that front group and make Almeida pass Thomas again. That's, that's unlikely. So... They were completely having the possibility of attacking there to try and overtake Chavez, who was up the road a good 12 seconds or so at the end of the stage here. They could have done that. They chose not to. Well, they only won by seven. Yeah. And nobody in the world is going to see this as a gifted victory by Ineos. No. Nobody in the world is going to see that as a, a victory given by Adam Yates. They see this as a victory by Chavez, who survived the crew behind. And this is why Roglic should have done and overtaken Mather, because if he did not leave Shockman behind to make this move in Paris-Nice to try and catch Gino Mather, then nobody would have seen it as a gift, just like today. And nobody would have yeah. given him credit, and Gino Mather and Bahrain wouldn't have ridden for him in the last stage. And from this stage, <laughs> you won't see you won't see Chavez and Bike Exchange suddenly working for Adam Yates in the Tour de France. Yeah. Oh, man. This is uh, well, Chavez work with his own teammates, so let alone <laughs> Adam. Now he's on a different team, but um, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Adam Yates could have definitely won this stage or come damn close. So that's why you don't gift stages, and it's not a gift. Chavez was oh, after Adam Good Yates, time. the best climber. Yep. He's the best, been the best climber in this race. You look at Enric Mas trying to get a gap. It's not. It's not so easy to just ride away, ride away from the Ineos train. And he didn't. He beat it for the stage. He didn't put much time into it. That's how the Ineos train works. But still, he look, looked at Kreuzweig attacking when the pace was low, couldn't hold it. So it is really good to see Chavez being a top, top climber. Yeah. Uh, if he can hold this sort of form throughout the rest of the season, you'd be expecting him to win some mountain stages throughout the year, depending on where he goes. But my hypothetical Benji was, which I wanted to come back to, by the way, Ineos 123GC 
this race is done. Everyone, by the way, but my <laughs> hypothetical relates to later. Carapace has a mechanical. We have Thomas, Port, Yates, all there sort of on GC, Yates leading. None of them, the clear domestique, maybe it is, is Port. Pagacha and Roglic attacks. What do Ineos do? Just pace with Port? I think that it's very difficult to figure out what Ineos would react to because in this situation, looking at how Pogacar and Rolich rode the last two weeks, I would see them just dropping everybody when they attacked. So I would not know how Ineos would be able to react to this knowing that their entire strategy at Tirana was just being played with by Pogacar. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I don't think that Carapaz puncturing at that moment or anything would matter. I think that in the end, they need to figure out a way to strike Pogacar and Roglic and not the other way around. I don't think it's up to Pogacar and Roglic to make the move now. I think it's up to Ineos to make the move against Pogacar and Roglic because otherwise they won't win the Tour de France. See, I think pacing with Port is a dangerous option. We saw on stage nine on the Tour, if those two go pacing with someone who's not as strong as them is a dangerous dangerous game i think the leader has to back themselves and adam yates just would have had to try to bridge to them and then sit on and but and that's still a good strategy because if pagatch and roglic attack the strongest climber on Ineos, whoever they've got can bridge and then unlike last year where bernal worked with them win stage nine break he worked with them the whole time. Unlike that, Yates, if it's Yates, can sit on and say, hey, I've got Thomas and Port behind. Screw you. Sit on. And then you can attack them <laughs> later. They might stop stop working. So it's a lot better for Ineos. And I think that would be the play. I don't think pacing, unless you've got like prime wild poles um, or 2013 Richie Port or something, is the play in that scenario. But really... Food for thought. Unfortunately, Kreuzweig wasn't strong enough to really see what would happen with like, you know, five, seven Ks left in the climb. But that was our Catalonia recap. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, pretty surprised a break didn't win today. <laughs> Leonard might get some dirty looks <laughs> from his breakaway <laughs> companions because Ineos wouldn't have given two shits, I don't think, if yep. he hadn't been in that break. But anyway, that's the way it goes. I love him for trying. I was hoping he was going to have a 60K solo. Would have made for a great Instagram montage. On to now, OxyClean, Classic, Brugge de Pana, Coxida, Udnarda, Gerardsbergen, AG, Benji's House, Race in the Marshes. OxyClean, Benji, is that Belgian dead all? What is OxyClean? Is that like EPO or, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be very clean, would it? <laughs> I think that... Um, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, I actually don't have a clue what that is. I had to look it up yesterday and it's uh, some kind of uh, washing additive or something. Somebody posted in the comment right. section to shout out to that person. I forgot who you are, but I'll check back after this podcast <laughs> and I'll graciously thank you in the comments. So uh, thank you very much for looking that up. But um, this race, I... Um, well... I think yesterday we didn't really note it this much that 
last year that was one of the better races of the season. And we kind of didn't mention it it at all. It got the worst scheduling, Benji. I was dead. It was like (laughs) in the middle of the Giro Vuelta overlap when everyone was so sick of pro cycling. And it was on a weird time, got no promotion. But yeah, what happened last year? Last year we had huge echelons in the mood and the marches. (laughs) And um, we had like eight or seven riders left. And that was the race where Van der Poel was in the front group and the camera guy was washing the the camera. And (laughs) we looked back and Van der Poel was like next to the road on the floor. So uh, yeah, we had that today again. He hit his head pretty hard. Yeah. I'm afraid we had that again today. Someone being uh, thrown into the ditch, and that was Sarah Roy. And, well, she uh, she had to take her bike out of the ditch. And this is the funny part of it. I, I, I'm pretty sure she pulled half of the field with that bike outside because she pulled it, and there was, like, so much grass and, like, weed and all that kind of stuff there. Weed as in the, yeah, the non-drug plant. Um, anyway... <laughs> this is going off topic very, very easily. Okay, Let's profile. Go back to the I'll do the profile. Rugger Panna, you you know it well. 158Ks, pancake flat, same sort of course as the men's race. Nice and long for the women's race too, 158Ks. Uh, live coverage starting well before 80Ks to go. They've got the uh, Muren or whatever it's called, the marsh area. Just a quick weather check from you, Benji, when you went out for your daily recording of the wind in west flanders uh was it windy was it super windy was it windy enough for echelons i know you go out and check every day yes 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 i had my daily check um just looking through the window just one second ago and apparently it's pretty sunny outside so that's pretty cool but um regarding the wind i have no clue how windy it is outside but it doesn't really matter because the Muren always has oh, really? wind. Like that section oh, okay. always has wind because it's next to the ocean. No, legit, and I didn't know that. It's always like in some area that, yeah, it's so open that it always has wind. But the issue is that it's not always the biggest wind. Yesterday it was significant wind, but it didn't really cause an echelon. Today it did. But uh, let's jump into that. We had a, an entire group, the peloton. I think with the best thing we can do here is like go into what happened in the race in the last like 40 kilometers. We had at 30 yeah. kilometers that we went into the Moodin once again, the marches. And that is where action started to happen. We saw that echelons were uh, about to open up. And we saw that, I think Bike Exchange was one of the teams that tried to get their riders to the front in that last section. Um, And it looked like everybody knew that something was coming because they went to it before, like at the start of the stage. So they obviously know what the Murin is like already. And in that section, they knew everything was coming. The people were moving to the front and the most important riders were at the front when it all decided to split up because split ups did indeed happen one person was missing oh, yeah. out on the front group it was 12 and then lot of belgian national champ benji and i both think she's a proper superstar she was off the back lorena veebs dsm completely missed this move there'd been some crosswind teaser action with 80 k's to go nothing eventuated out of it they weren't even consistent breaks everything was kept really tight and yet probably exploded with 33 k's to go balsamo on valka uh, julie lee left 
Emma Norsgaard, star of this early season Danish champ on Movistar with teammates, Hansen and Hosking, Trek Segafredo represented by multiple riders, Alice Barnes, Grace Brown on Bike Exchange, I think solo, maybe with one teammate. It was uh, Brenau, the German national champ on Theratizit, there with her teammate Kirsten Wild. She created the split, Brenau, Jolene Dora with there with Amy Peters, so everyone <laughs> wouldn't have been too happy about that, <laughs> having that quick duo in there. But Kapeki Benji, solo bridge. Yeah. Probably cost her later, but how impressive was that? Pretty damn impressive. She had to uh, solo back from the second group in the echelon to the first group. And in echelons, that's basically almost impossible sometimes. And you need to be extremely strong to battle to win on your own to try and get back to the front group. Often we see this in, uh, yeah, we saw this in Qatar a few years ago. Like back in the days when we had the tour of Qatar for the men's, we had so many echelons there. And we saw it so, so much where riders that were in the second group could never make it back to the front group. Yeah. And I was so surprised that she would be able to make that because I was scared that she missed out. And that move brought her back into contention for the race. And I thought when I saw that group, when I saw who was in it, that this could actually genuinely work out because a lot of teams represented and a lot of teams that won't be doing the working in that second group. And now that Kopecky's at the front as well, Liv also doesn't really have to do chasing in the second group. So... This 13-women group looked to be gone at that moment. Did you have the same feeling? Yeah, I thought it was done. And generally in the women's races, if you've got multiple SD Works plus Trek and uh, Kopecky up front in these Belgian races and Brenau too, she's a beast, then it's a wrap for the chase group. We've seen DSM chasing, I don't know, in how many races. Um, so, yeah, they were pretty much chasing particularly after the sarah roy crash seven k's went past where the gap was staying pretty stable between 40 and 45 seconds from 26 to 19 k's to go then brenauer the initiator of the uh in the first echelon through the marshes she had a rear wheel puncture race done for her big shame i think she might have had a good result and would have changed the outcome of this race actually their advantage went down then, the lead group, to about 30 seconds, then 25 seconds with 12Ks to go. But I've seen this before. The effort from DSM or the, the team, the main team chasing behind, they can bring it back. But then they've, you know, 45 to, to 35. They burn a rider. They're done. Then they've got two left and they bring it down to 25 and then they maybe have one rider left and they, they're all cooked. And so the gap pretty much, yeah, was staying stable at 25.30 to them. Think about the composition now of this break. And you've got Norsgaard, properly quick. Kirsten Wild, sprinter, you know that. Hosking, same story. Jolindor, Kapeki, and Balsamo's got a kick on her too. That's like five or six sprinters and grace brown who won brabantse pale last year and nearly chased down one of the informed riders at that moment lizzie diagnan in liege baston liege from far out she attacked as she, and she was alone too with 10 k's to go now if she'd been brought back benji 
I'd probably be here criticizing her for attacking too early. But why did that attack then work so well? Well, um, I'm I'm a bit questioned when it comes to what just then means in that question. But I think that what happens in this group is that you indeed have those sprinters. And it looked like the riders that those sprinters had, because some ha actually had duos in their teams. So some um, some teams had multiple riders there. But they Peters. weren't really kind of keeping it together. They weren't like deciding, oh, we're going to all out go for this person in our team. They would probably think to go for the uh, for the sprinter in their squad. But like in Amy Peters was a rider that I would expect to all out right from that point for uh, her teammate. And it didn't really work that way. They were pacing, but it, it was not at a hardcore pace. And we saw at a certain point that the group behind them was closer again, but then the gap started it did, it started expanding again. And yeah, because that cooperation was not perfect. It's ideal for someone like Grace Brown, someone with a real engine to try and come from past the riders, come from behind the riders and kind of surprise a few people with an attack. And if you don't react to that directly, you've got a flat rider. Well, she's not only a flat rider, we know that, because she's done some crazy stuff already last year. But um, if you know that someone with such an engine is getting away, you need to respond directly to the wheel, because if you make the move to counter it, and then yeah. you say, come on, elbow, who's going to take over, and nobody's taking over, then the group is just completely well, that's what obliterated when it comes to cooperation. and Yep. Like I, we saw that Kapeki was on or close to Grace Brown's wheel, was accelerating, and then just stopped. And then, I mean, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just saying what happened. But because she obviously had that big solo bridge, but we saw a few things like that. Amy Peters tried to accelerate and get there, couldn't quite get there. She realized, well, Jolene Dor didn't help her. Sometimes I think sprinters should just help and forego the thinking, oh, well, I've got a rider in this group. Why don't they chase? Well, if they're cooked and tired and the gap is only five or six seconds and if they pace, then the gap's going to go out to 10 or 15 seconds. You've now created a bigger problem for yourself. So you should be talking with your teammate and figuring out what's the best strategy to do Hansen as well she tried to attack and bridge across to that the teammate of Chloe Holtzking didn't agree with that I think the way to go was obviously simple you know Peters uh Peters Peters Hoss uh Hansen and co just working to bring back Grace Brown because honestly looking at the rest of the riders in this group Benji if you bring back Grace Brown there's no Brennau she punctured. Alan Van Dyke isn't here. Probably just and Kopecky's cooked. You probably would have then had your sprint if you were those other teams. So I think they'll be, uh, yeah, maybe thinking about what they did wrong today. But Grace Brown was able to hang on. They never, she never really looked in doubt. To be honest, she just maintained that gap the whole way to the finish. By the time. They started to get really organized behind Bianich and Peters. It was four Ks to go. Grace Brown had 18 seconds. Um, 
DSM were like a minute behind in the third chase group under the Flam Rouge. We knew she had it and she was looking strong too with pretty much like over 10 seconds at that point. And she wins uh, Brugge de Pan, big Women's World Tour result for Grace Brown and Bike Exchange. Seven seconds ahead of Norsgaard winning the bunch sprint ahead of Jolene Dorda. Kopecky fourth, Balsama sixth, fifth rather, Kirstenville sixth, Hosking seventh, Alice Barnes eighth, Amy Peters ninth, and Julia Leith tenth. Didn't know why I struggled with the results so much, Benji. If Paris-Roubaix does go ahead this year, Benji, Grace Brown, what do you think? I think that um, she's an option to do really well on that parkour. She's got the real engine. She can get over the cobbles. I think that this is completely off topic now, but I think that when it comes to Paris Roubaix, the thing that we don't think about is how early these women would have to start because you got to keep in mind they need to ride earlier than the men's race. So they need to start riding a quarter to eight in the morning, which means that if you need to have your last meal three-ish hours before the race, then you're going to be waking up at 4.45 in the morning to ride Paris-Roubaix. It's, it's genuinely fucked up. Mate, you're just describing riding in southeast Queensland to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> nah, I take your point. It is very early. And like Milano San Remo men's as well, they start so early. The women's... So Paris-Roubaix scheduled the opposite to Flanders, Benji. Uh, they got the women's finishing before the men's. I uh, I don't have a clue. I don't know the schedule by heart, but okay. it's uh, it's certainly the earliest that a women's race is, is starting. And I think that right. it's an interesting topic because uh, we don't really realize that. And it becomes even worse if you think about the virtual races they had last year where people had to like wake up in the middle of the night to try and ride yeah, Sarah it. Sarah so, uh, them at like two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian star. Yeah, I know. But anyway, I think the next big women's race, let me just have a look to keep you in the loop. I think this was the women's. Listen, you're listening to this pod, so you're, I'm preaching to the choir here, but women's racing can be more exciting than the men's edition. And if anyone disagrees with you on that, uh, and it can be the other way around too, but it, women's racing can definitely be more exciting. Send them uh, Brugge de Pan women's compared to the men's <laughs> Brugge de Pan and yes. just be like, arrest my case. <laughs> like, no one can disagree with that. Uh, but we've got women's Ken Vavelhem on Sunday. So that should be pretty good. We don't have a preview for it. And Tour of Flanders about a week next weekend and then Roubaix I think will be postponed. We've got some good classics. Uh, Grace Brown at Ken Vavelhem. I presume she's racing it. PCS women's start lists aren't the best uh, for me to trust, but she's on the start list there. So, yeah, she'll be gone for a top five minimum, I think. But that's all from us today. It's our Brugge de Pan women's recap and we'll see you with the Catalonia stage five tomorrow. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 